Amen. Thank you, Jimmy and Donna, for that beautiful reminder. And man, what a powerful word that uh, I spoke with several of you earlier today and how it seems like every day uh, things are changing more rapidly than ever before. We don't know up from bottom, from around to top. I mean, everything is completely uh, as... Uh, Old country preachers say discombobulated. And uh, I don't know about you, but I get up every day thinking, I would just like to have one little sliver of good news. And it seems like it's a big piece of bad news. And it seems like it's always something else. I want to ask you something today. Have you ever went on a trip with multiple vehicles? Maybe it was going to a ball game, you know, several counties over and several parents got together and said, okay, I'm going to drive and I'm going to drive and you're going to drive. And, or maybe it was going to a youth camp or children's camp or go, even going on vacation. And, so, and this was maybe pre-smartphone days where you had the big road atlas shoved in. Uh, if you were humble, you had a road atlas. If not, you said, oh, I'll figure it out. And so you all get in a row and somebody said, I'll take off and I'll lead. And so you get on the road, and we all go in, and you start going down through there, and after a while, you're like, well, I just don't know this is right. Oh, yeah, they know where they're going. Yeah, they know where they're going. And they keep on, keep on, and finally they pull over. You pull up, and you're like, what are, what are you doing? And they said, well, I didn't know where. I thought you would get in front. I don't know where we're at. And so many times in our lives, we've got our attention on that which is right in front of us, thinking that's going to get us where we need to go. And we realize that neither one of us really know where we need to be. There's a game we played as a kid called Follow the Leader, and then they stole all the fun out of it and made line leaders in school and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you always wanted to be the leader. There's a, another old saying that says, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And for many a believer, we think that's a choice. We think it's a choice that we have just simply relegated ourselves to the sideline and we've gotten out of the way. The truth is, as Jimmy said, the one constant is Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the leader. And what we're going to talk about today is that second part, following. But I want you to understand something else that has not changed. Well, it has changed. It's grown, and that is the lostness of this world. I want you to understand. Schools may go back. They may not go back. They may go back later. We may play football. We may not play football. Jobs may be recaptured or they may be lost. One may win the election, the other may win the election, but I want you to understand something. People will still die and go to hell if you don't tell them about Jesus. Evangelism and following the Lord Jesus Christ does not have time for taking breaks. Quarantines and pandemics cannot stop the church of the living God for if it can, then we are really not what we say we are. Living, breathing, empowered believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 9 today. The end of 9. Now remember, we're going to start in verse 57 and carry over into chapter 10. But remember when Dr. Luke wrote this, he did not say, okay, period, end of chapter 9. Now let's start a new chapter. They, weren't, they were not wrote in chapter and verse. It was just letters and epistles. And the, the great saint, St. Luke, penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, and he gave a, an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. And he said in verse 57, and it came to pass. Now, right now, look at me. 
I want you to breathe in and breathe out. There's one phrase, stop using. Stop using it, don't use it anymore. The new normal. Stop saying that because you have belittled the power of God every time we say it. Now I want you to read what the Gospel of Luke just said. And it came to do what? To pass. We do not read the grammatical importance of that. We just read through it. And it came to pass. Because we're, we, we're so anxious to see what else is going to be saying. But what the gospel is telling us is that which has happened is gone. And now it's moving forward. I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I don't even know where I'm going to eat lunch. Or if I'm going to eat lunch. But what I do know is Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And I know, and I know, and I know that one way or the other, this shall come to pass. There'll be no mask in glory. Amen? There will be no following, no leading. It will just simply be us, the saints of the living God, not those who we hoped into heaven or those because they were family members of someone saved got into heaven or everybody going to a better place or see them up there. No, it will be those who bent their knee and bowed their head and in deep repentance confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's all. And in the presence of the angels, we will worship the risen Savior who is Christ our Lord. There before the throne of God and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And forevermore. And forevermore. It will never be said again that it came to pass. So I want you, before we go any further, can I just encourage you, mamas and daddies, and I've talked to several today. And I am not one here today to uh, cast stones, believe me. Because there, there have been a few times where I've been in settings where I did a little hand wringing, okay? And think, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it right here, right now. And I literally had to pray scriptures and say, God, if you want me to have it, then I'm going to get it. And if you don't want me to get it, then you'll keep it even if it's all over me. Can we all agree to that? Can we agree that God is stronger than social distancing? Not saying be ignorant. I'm not saying be disrespectful. We don't go in and turn over the carts in Walmart because they told us to wear a mask. Then don't go. I don't know if you understand that or not. That's like the inmates running to prison. It's like college football players telling their coaches, I need to get paid. It's like professional athletes telling their owners what they're going to do. It's time we wake up and stop letting that kind of stuff happen. It's time that we realize God is God and we're not. So who are you going to follow? I've got to give a good title or Lisa's going to text me and say, that was really good. What's your title? Well, it says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him. Now, he doesn't name him, but he says a certain man. He wants us to understand that it's a personal calling. It's a personal decision between us and the Lord. We do not meet God simply because our parents met him somewhere along the way. It, this is not uh, uh, through the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's either you and the Lord or it's not. And a certain man, I want you to just interject yourself here, said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. 
today. I will follow you. Can we make that statement? Can we, in the center of our consciousness, in our subconsciousness, when we're awake and when we're asleep, when we're in church and when we're at work, when we're at play and when everybody's watching or when no one's watching, can we say, Lord, I will follow you. Now, before you answer that, I want us to evaluate the situation. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll go wherever you go. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Okay? Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. So he's got one saying, I'm going to follow you. Now he's saying to someone else, you follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first. Allow me to first go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at the home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And after these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among the wolves. So he has one coming and saying, I'm going to follow you. He turns to another and says, you follow me. And then he sends them that are willing to go. I will follow you. I want you to understand it's more than a statement. It's more than a statement. You know, I love history. I love studying history, especially the last hundred or so years of history. Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, all that kinds of stuff. And there are those who rise to the occasion, those who exceed expectations, and those that really just mess things up. As an old boy from Auburn, Alabama, or lived in Auburn, Alabama, that in the early days of Vietnam, they said, we're going to do things different than we've done in the past. This is a different war. We have different tools, and we're going to do it a different way. And roughly about 200 miles from here, in a little spot of Columbus, Georgia, named Fort Benning, they began to set up this special group. And it would be known as the Calvary. Yet, Calvary had existed for many, many years, decades. Yet this would be a different kind of Calvary. And as that commander said, we will be riding into battle on a different horse. And the days of the helicopters being used were totally different. Colonel Hal Moore led a group that he had trained for this special deal, just flying in and flying out, quick insertion and exit. And they ended up in a little place known as Landing Zone X-Ray in the Idrang Valley in the early part of Vietnam. And as they were dropped in this area, what the people, the talking heads and all of the CIA and everyone else didn't know was all the tunnels tucked up in there and how they were literally battalions of regular uniformed North Vietnamese waiting to attack just a hundred or so, about 148 American soldiers. And thus began one of the toughest battles 
where it was literally hand-to-hand, face-to-face, lines kind of battle of Vietnam. And if you've watched the movie, you've heard. And I've watched the, the documentaries and heard the actual interviews with with uh, Colonel, uh, with Hal Moore and with his Sergeant Major Plumley, who was a man's man. He had, he, had hel- uh, he had parachuted into World War II. He had fought in Korea, and now he was in Vietnam. This was the baddest of the bad. And these guys, at one point in the battle, as they called out what is known as a broken arrow, which when it goes out over the radio, it literally means we're overrun, there's nothing we can do, bring everything you have to bear on our spot. If it kills us, it kills us, but it wipes out the enemy as well. And everything in in an area to be able to get to that battle zone came, dropped bombs, shot guns, everything you can imagine. And in the midst of this, Colonel Moore looks over at Plumlee and he says, now I know how Custer felt. Because you see, Custer led his men into a battle where every single one of them were killed. A battle that if he would have studied, been prepared, would have known there would be no success. It was an impossible fight. Because you see, this was the same deal, Calvary, as Custer. But how more, as Plumley pointed out, was no Custer. And we talk about Custer and his last stand. People don't realize Custer graduated dead last in his West Point class. And through friends and popularity, he had moved up the ranks to become a general. And they put him somewhere they thought they could get him out of their hair. But you see, those men following him's lives were in his hand. There's a vast difference between Custer and Moore, between leaders. And we need to understand that following is more than a statement. How Moore said, told him from the very beginning, he said, I'll be the first man on the field and the last man off. Even if you're carrying my dead body, I will be the last one off this field. Real leaders lead. Jesus Christ went to the grave for you and I to be the first fruits of resurrection. Listen, if there's anybody to follow, it's Jesus. Amen? But it's more than just saying, where you lead, I will follow. It's so much more than just saying it. It's more than a statement. First of all, it takes sacrifice. He said in verse 58, foxes have holes and birds have their nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Can you imagine that? Stop and really just camp out on that. We talk about the homeless population and it's sad. We need to do what we can to prevent it and to help in those situations. But I want you to understand the one who created the rocks that are stacked, the rain And the dust that mixed together would make mud and mortar and used as pitch. He made the grass of the field and the moss to be used as roofing. The one who created it all didn't even have a place to call home. You see, in our lives, when we follow the Lord... It's going to take sacrifice to truly follow the Lord. See, we, we, we want to walk an aisle, and we want to sign a card. We want to join a youth group, and we want to be in a Sunday school class. But it's more than just saying, I'm a Christian. And if it's ever been obvious, it ought to be today. It takes more to stand and proclaim. Do you understand, Andrew alluded to this earlier in his prayer. There are pastors who have been arrested. They have been threatened. There are churches that have been attacked and tried to be shut down simply for preaching the gospel and worshiping the risen Savior who is Christ Lord. They're not having animal sacrifices They're not abusing children. They're not doing drugs. 
They're simply meeting, they're told don't sing. You cannot sing. It's against the law in this state to sing in church. You can't sing. Now I'm not talking about in Georgia, but in certain states in California. Don't sing. You'll be projecting the virus over everyone else. I can remember a few times when just the name of Jesus was mentioned in the book of Acts and those who were dead were made alive. I'm going to tell you something. I will stick with the old stuff. I would rather stand and listen to Jimmy Tucker sing in the garden talking about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than being the biggest, baddest, strongest protest in America. Wake up, church. It takes more than sacrifice. We, I mean, listen, it means giving up some of the things that brings convenience. It can be very inconvenient. Some of us won't go on a mission trip because we're afraid to get on a plane. Some of us are afraid to go on a mission trip because we're afraid of the food we may have to eat. We're afraid of getting outside of our comfort zone. Most of us will never share our faith truly with someone outside our family because it absolutely draws us up and we feel inconvenienced by the uncomfortableness of sharing our faith with others. I want to ask you, when you look at this guy, he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now understand, they thought Jesus was fixing to, because he said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And they were on their way to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, they just went into a Samaritan town and the Samaritans didn't want them. After all he had done, after all the woman had told them about, they didn't want him. And so they moved on. And they're headed toward Jerusalem, but they think he's there to proclaim, I'm the king. And so this guy said, I'll follow you wherever. He thought he was going to follow him to the palace, not follow him in being poor. You see, are you following to get or to give? Is it, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord and see what I can get out of it? That's prosperity gospel. You say, I can't believe so-and-so died. They loved the Lord. Oh. I, I, want, I want to square something up with you. No matter how old, no matter how old, no matter what background, no matter what family, no matter what country, no matter what color, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. You can live the most glorious Christ-honoring life, but never forget you were born into sin. Somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit convicted you and convinced you of your sin and His holiness and you repented of your sin and you trusted the Lord. And maybe for the last several years, you've convinced yourself of how sin is alright. And now that you're a little older, you can do more things and you've rationalized sin and you spend more time trying to justify yourself in sin as a Christian than following the one who called you out of lostness. If that's the case, then it's about what you get, not what you give. Well, I just believe I'm old enough now. I can do what I want. And I can do this and I can do that. Hey, yeah, you can, but that doesn't make it right. Who are you following? Take sacrifice. Are you trying to get? Oh, God's going to make me. Well, I can't understand. I can't get ahead financially. Well, you know, maybe stop borrowing so much money. Maybe you don't need a vacation. Yeah, but I, I, I deserve one. Why? Why do you deserve anything? I'm going to tell you what you deserve. You deserve hell. And I'm the chief. I deserve it as much, if not more, than anybody else. I deserve, 
I deserve destruction and punishment, but Jesus loved me so much that he paid the price. Y'all getting this? Listen, just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean we got to stop saying amen and saying the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Hey, there's hope in him. Follow the one who can do something about your situation. Because no Dr. Fauci, no president, no government, no anything else, whether it's the who or whether it's the what or the CNC or the CDC or anyone else can change what God has done. God can. I don't think we're convinced of that. That's why we don't tell people about you. We're not convinced who we're following. We say we follow Jesus. Are you following to get or to give? It, it takes obedience. And I'm going to tell you, that's, it, it's going to be not only inconvenient, it's going to be unpopular. Because here, he said, hey, uh, let me first go bury my father. Now, he wasn't showing disrespect. People said, how? It's his dad. Why didn't he go? We don't know how long his dad's been dead. And we do know that when God called Elisha to take up the mantle of Elijah, that old, you remember how tough Elijah was, right? Elijah was as tough as they come. But Elijah permitted Elisha to go and tell his family bye because God spoke it into Elijah. Hey, he's, he's for real. There's a call on his life. He's going to follow me. But Jesus, knowing the hearts of all men, knew what he was saying. Hey, if I go home, maybe they'll give me a reason not to go. He was making excuses because, remember, now this guy didn't say, I'll follow you. This is the guy Jesus called to follow him. And right now, in your spirit, God's calling you to follow him. To follow him out of depression, to follow him out of degradation, to follow him out of the sin which does so easily beset you, to follow, you, follow him out of doubt and confusion, to follow him in boldness. But you're worried about what people may think. I want you to understand, the world does not understand, nor do they want to hear about Jesus. They just don't. I remember when I was so overwhelmed with God's call on my life. When I finally surrendered, the hell that I'd brought on my own life in rebellion, I'm telling you, the prodigal son had come home, and I, man, spiritually, God had put the robe around me, put a ring. I was eating good spiritually. God had so filled me up. I wanted everybody I knew, especially my friends, to have what I had. You hear what I'm saying? You ever tried something new, some new food? Maybe you tried, I don't know what it is, but you tried something new and it just, maybe it surprised you it was so good. You want everybody else, hey, try this. Try this. Yeah, no, I don't. No, you really, you got to try this. You got to try this. This is unbelievable. You need to try this. When's the last time you were so in love with Jesus? You wanted somebody else to have him. Huh? Takes priority. He said, hey, listen. Let the dead bury the dead go and preach the kingdom. Another said, I'll follow you, but let me first go home and say bye. Let me go home. I want you to understand when we set the right priorities, it can be dangerous. When we say Jesus first, now and always Jesus first, then Satan's going to challenge you on that. You hear me? If you say Jesus first at all times, it can be very dangerous. Number one, it can be dangerous to finances. It can hurt you financially because the world won't treat you the same way. It will hurt you in your relationships. Can I just tell you, if you've not figured this out yet or not, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ 
and you try to live a life pleasing and honorable to Him, the invitations to parties and to vacations and to group meetings are going to decline rapidly. Count it all joy. Can I'm going to tell you that all that group, when they're partying and living it up, and they may all be in one vehicle and one person does something wrong, I'm going to tell you, oh, everybody's loyal. Everybody's loyal until everybody gets arrested. You can ask Randall or Nathan or any other peace officer here. Anyone caught will sell their soul. They will sell their mama out to get out of trouble. The people who you are sacrificing your relationship to the Lord are not. Listen, they wouldn't do it for you. They wouldn't do it for you. Stop. Stop worrying about what the world thinks. Takes priorities. It can be dangerous because, listen, the things that we've set up. When I get this age, and I was talking with several this morning, we got several incoming seniors this year. Um, I mean, they're very humble about it. It's not like it's wrote all over their cars. And We have wonderful students here. And we have wonderful youth, wonderful leaders. We set priorities, don't we? We set, this is what I want to do. All right, I want to get out of high school. I want to go to college. I want to set this major. I want to do this. I want to make this much money. I want to get married by this time. I mean, to the point, we even say what kind of person, and we draw it all up in our, mat, in our, in our mind. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do by this time. You know, the sad thing is some people get exactly what they want. And it's like, and I, I don't want to be worldly, but it is, so, it is so appropriate right here. There's an old rock and roll ballad that this, this boy told this girl that to have his way, he would love her to the end of time, no matter what. And so goes their life, and so they get married. So that he could, he could have his dream, to have his priority. And by the end of the song, the music kind of changes. And he began to say that he was praying for the end of time. To hurry up and arrive. Because if he had to spend another minute with her, he didn't think he would be able to survive. Be careful what you want, you may get it. The Bible says that the Hebrew children in the wilderness said, manna's not good enough. I want meat. And God set quail till it run out their nostrils. But the strongest verse that just is an epitome, I think a microcosm or a macrocosm of the church today. He said, God granted their request. We wanted big buildings and we wanted new this and we wanted all these other things. God granted their request, but he sent leanness into their souls. On the outside, we look good. We're happy and, oh man, we're so blessed. Having money don't necessarily make you blessed. Having health don't necessarily make you blessed. Having a big family and a winning team don't necessarily make you blessed. takes the right priorities. What comes first matters. Are we following the one who deserves to be followed? It's more than an appointment. Look what he said in verse 7, that it came to pass as they went in the way. They went. They're walking alone. They're following in union. They were, there was an accompaniment. You see, when we understand how we are to follow him, then there will be an uh, equality and unity with him. That's intimacy. And you don't get a special privilege over somebody else. This Gnostic gospel that some people think they're smarter than other Christians, I'm going to tell you some of the most godly, in-depth, walking, talking Christians I've ever met couldn't hardly read their Bible. 
Now, I'm not bragging on ignorance. I don't mean it that way. I think you ought to learn to read. I think you ought to read well. I'm just proud that I said that grammatically correct. I had to think about it because I'd say, you need to read good. You need to read well. But that's not a prerequisite in a relationship with the Lord. Being important, being smart to the world, having a high IQ, having uh, the best GPA. Listen, you ought to strive and you need to set priorities. But remember, this follows the last thing. What matters is what comes or who comes first. And so there's, uh, they were equal in unity. They were walking in intimacy with him, one as close as the other. You remember when one mama, you don't talk about a helicopter mama. You don't talk about the one that all of us have experienced and some of us has been. So let's put it in the sports realm. So Jesus is... Uh, He's standing up on the fence, you know, at the ball game. He's the coach. Jesus is the head coach, amen? He's the general manager and the coach. And there are those who are out on the field at the time. Peter's in right field where he belongs. John's the beloved's probably catching because he's tough. Did what it took. And there's Nathaniel and Bartholomew and they're all out there. And all of a sudden, right up against the back of the dugout, Jesus hears this voice. Uh, Coach Jesus, Coach Jesus, why are my boys not pitching and catching? I don't understand. They're the best thing on the team. Do you not understand? We could win this game with James and John if they would get... Listen, they need to be out there. Come on, coach, you know. And it's just blah, 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 blah. Well, she walks right and busts up in the crowd and said, Jesus, when you get to glory, my boys, one needs to be on one side and one needs to be on the other. She said that. Now, I don't know. They were called the sons of thunder. Sometimes, listen, you're like, Mama, be quiet. No, go away. I don't know her. I don't, who is she talking? I don't know who she is. And, and, and we embarrass our kids. Now, it's good to embarrass your kids. Just do it the right way. They need to be embarrassed every once in a while. Keep them humble. But not in this kind of way. And so she says, I want my boys. And he said, you don't know what you're asking for. First shall be last, last shall be first. See, it's about intimacy that everyone is equal with the Lord when we love Him. There's no greater than you in the kingdom of God. Now, that is very encouraging, isn't it? But it's also very humbling. Do you know, have you ever talked about what you'll do when you get to heaven? You ever talked about that? Have I already lost y'all this morning? You've done it? I mean, you'll talk. So, you know, who, who are some of the people you'd like to talk to? Ralph, about, excluding immediate family, who, who else would you like to talk to? Peter. Yeah, Pete, me, me and you. Because I, I want to be like Paul, but I'm like Peter. I always wanted to, you know, be like a, Isaiah and Ezekiel, but I, more like the other ones that let their mouth overload their brain. Yeah, I'd like to talk to Peter. Everybody, you know, most people say, oh, I, I can't wait. You know, there's one song that says, and I saw James and Mark and Timothy. And most people say, I want to talk to Moses, you know. Do you understand there's people that's going to want to talk to you? If you live a life of intimacy with Christ. And when we get to glory, they're not going to be bigger mansions or bigger places of prestige. There's not going to be a walk of fame that says, oh, you have to be one of the guys in the Bible to be right here. No. We're all children of the Most High God. Think about that for a minute. That the Moseses and the Gideons, the Joshua 
Elijah, Elisha. Now, there are different crowns. There's different rewards. But there's not different relationships. We're equal in unity with him in intimacy. But with others, it's accountability. When he took 70 and then sent them out by twos. Now, I want to tell you, if you're in a group of 70, you can hide something. Right? You have a basketball camp and have 50 kids out there. You can kind of hide, they can hide stuff from coach. You put five players on the court on the clock, you can't hide nothing. It's there. Except for some of the rest that we have to deal with. And they don't see anything. Except if they see things that's not there. The truth is, when you're in this big group, you can kind of fit in. You can just mail in. We think, well, as long as I'm here, that's good enough. But God's called you to follow, not attend. To follow him, follow him in worship, but follow him in discipleship, follow him in winning souls, follow him in worship. We're to follow. And it means when we go out two by two, we're accountable. There's nobody in this room that knows me like she does. Nobody. Nobody. Because we've known each other for 38 years. You're old. 38 years. We've been married 31 next month. We've been sick. We've had surgeries. We've celebrated birthdays, births, anniversaries. We've cried through funerals. We've moved houses. We've moved churches. We've been attacked. We've been loved on. We've seen the best and the worst in life. Nobody knows us like we do of each other. But there's some things in my life that she don't even know. Jesus does. There's things in her life I don't fully understand or know. But Jesus does. And we need to understand that we're to walk together as believers in accountability. Stop wearing your feelings. Oh, I can't believe that they would think that or say that or do that. Everybody's going to have a bad day, okay? If you have to, if you have to literally take a piece of paper and write on it, free pass to and write a blank. If it will help you remember and just stick it in your pocket and the next time somebody wants to be ugly and hateful toward you, take that thing out and write their name in it. And if you want to, give it to them as long as you do it in humility. Because I want you to know you've done it to somebody else too. And usually the person that gets hurt the most are the ones that hurt others the most. We need to realize that we are to be accountable to one another in love. We're equal in authority by him and before others. Equal in authority. God's called us to tell others. But then it's more than equipment. It takes preparation. Look in chapter 10, verse 2. He said, pray because the harvest is great, laborers are few. Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray when you pray. How you pray, not if you pray. Pray more. Yes, we're in a quarantine. Pray. We're in a pandemic. We need to have a special time. No, we don't need a special time. We need to be praying anyway. Oh, we're going to pray when 9-11 happened. We'll never forget. Took us a whole month. And we forgot. They say that a large percentage of those who are not attending church right now because of the pandemic won't ever come back. I don't know. Let me give you some fact. I'm going to give you fact. Fact is that after Easter, not on Easter, after Easter, we had a couple of Sundays with over 2,000 views. 
online. Over 2,000, at least they clicked on it, you know. Now we're somewhere back to the three or 400 range, which was what we were doing before we ever went into quarantine, even when we were meeting with Sunday school and Wednesday night and everything else. They've already quit. There are those that says, I'm just real worried. I'm real concerned. But they're doing everything else but church. And they've stopped worshiping even online. We need to be burdened. I'm not, I'm not mad. Breaks my heart as a pastor. I'm not concerned that, oh, we won't be able to meet budget and all that. Listen, money's been great. God, listen, those who are faithful are faithful still. But it breaks my heart when we forget to pray. It takes proficiency. God called laborers, not onlookers. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send what? Laborers or attendees? Those who are willing to work or those who are willing to be served? God's called us to serve. It's kind of like a, a Christmas supper. We have a Christmas supper, Thanksgiving supper, and it's amazing how long we will stay and eat and fellowship until the first table starts being broke down. And it's like somebody sprayed mustard gas in here, how quick everybody can get going. I'm lying, I'm dying. How quick we'll run from vacation Bible school. How quick we will run from other things. It takes proficiency. God's called us to be laborers, not onlookers. But finally, it's more than excitement. Boy, we can go to a revival. We can come say, oh, preacher, that was a great message. Listen, it's more than excitement. It takes a burden. I want you to understand, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Why? Because it truly is great. It takes a burden because people are lost. Do you know anybody lost? Are you so busy in your world making friends and gaining influence, you forgot to look at the lostness of the world? People are lost. Maybe you. You may be lost. Never profess Jesus as your Savior. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. When's the last time you stopped and prayed for a brother or sister or parent or aunt a nephew that's lost. What about a neighbor? I'm going to tell you where God challenges me. to Pray for people that I don't particularly like. Or the people that I feel have injured me or my family. And God said, you can't pray for the people you love till you pray for them. You ever went through that? That's a long night now. Because you can say it with your mouth, but... Until you mean it with your heart, God, God's like, nah, 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 nah. Do it again. Do it again. We need to be praying with a burden because people are lost. People are in need. People are in need. Have you, and I don't, I don't want a show of hands, and I don't want it to be some kind of dark cloud, but in the last four or five months, has there been a time where you've had thoughts of depression or dread with what's going on in this world? Boy, I have. And it's not just like I had one for two days and then it left. I mean, it's like every week, something. And I wake up and it's like, oh man, it's not a movie, it's real. Groundhog Day is real. And the only thing it's not the same, it's worse. It's worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. People are in need. You hear me? People sitting right beside you right now are in need. They need a kind word. Don't rush off. Stand around. Somebody may say, hey, you got a minute? Can I talk to you? People are in need. People are everywhere. Matt and I were talking earlier. I'm pretty cavalier about things. I, I like to consider myself as kind of open and kind of rough and tumble about certain things and not super afraid of a lot of things but since 
last couple months, I, I'm not big on, you know, I don't want anybody in my, my personal space anyway. I don't want them up in my grill. But now, I don't want them in my zone. You know what I'm saying? And some people are just oblivious. I mean, you stand there like a good patron on your X or on your dot, and that person's up there, and you're waiting your turn. I'm going to pay my bill and all this, and when it's time, and then you walk up, and you say, hey, how are you doing? Here you go. And you turn around, and the person behind you is standing like this. I'm like, dude, back up. Space. I'm 6'2", and I'm like, maybe their breath will go under me. Breathe under People are everywhere. But every time you see somebody, Jesus died for that person. I am convinced that I can say without equivocation, without a doubt, there's never a person born on the face of this earth that I couldn't say, Jesus died for you. I believe that. I believe God's word teaches that. People are everywhere. But understand, people can be mean. People can be mean. They don't want to hear it. We're not here to be men pleasers. We're here to be Christ followers. Now I want you to understand, as they come with a hymn of invitation, remember who you're following. He said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Remember who you're following. Listen, he said, I will follow you. I will follow. That's the title. I will follow. But what does that mean? I will follow with priority. I will follow with sacrifice. I will follow in obedience. Putting you first. I will follow in unity with you, Lord, and with others. I will follow you no matter where. No matter what. You come first. Jesus, you love me. Enough to die for me. I don't have to follow you to be nailed to a cross, but I do have to follow you by denying myself and taking up my cross. Maybe it's been a while since you've said, Lord, thank you for saving me. Maybe it's been a while where you got on your face and said, God, I really need to follow you. Lord, tomorrow I'm going to be faced with uncertain time. I need to follow you. I need to follow you in my marriage. I need to follow you in my vocation. I need to follow you in school. I need to follow you in my recreation. Lord, whatever I do, I need to be following you, and I haven't been doing it. You need to repent, get things right. Whatever God is calling you to do, will you do it today? Stand. We spread out in this altar. Don't let that be an excuse. You come and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you and mean it. Come.